0: sermon from Garden City Methodist Church. We want to invite you to worship with us each Sunday at 1030 a.m., either in person or online. You can come to our beautiful sanctuary at 62 Varnado Avenue, Garden City, Georgia, or you can worship with us online as we stream our services at GardenCityUMC.com. a kid we used to go and visit my grandparents house and every time we went and visited my grandparents house we'd go down and see my great-grandparents who lived just down the road and uh we called them Mamaw and Papaw Minot and our favorite thing to do with Mamaw and Papaw Minot was to play canasta man they were canasta playing people <laughs> and uh my uh it, it was great you know you'd have my grandparents and my parents and my great-grandparents and once my sister and i got old enough we joined in too and so we'd have these like big canasta games but one thing i always remember is Papa minot had these phrases that he would say when he played canasta i mean he had a catchphrase for every card he laid down Papa minot would play a four and he'd say two fours a four and a four spot and play a four i don't know what that means but he'd say it every time Anytime he played a five, he'd say, a fever in a family, and we all drank soup. <laughs> I don't know what that means either, but, man, Papo Aminat just loved it. Yeah, he would always say to my mom, usually when they played, my, my mom and, and Mam Aminat would be a partner's, and my dad and Papo Aminat would be partners. So he'd say to my mom, he'd say, Kathy, I love you, but this is cards. And, you know, he, anytime he would kind of Uh, get a hand up on her but one of the phrases I always remember when Papa Almina didn't know what to discard when every card he had was a bad discard he would say well I'm in between a rock and a hard place and uh, you know that's that was his way of complaining that he didn't know what to discard and uh, but that's always stuck with me of course that is something that I do know that's a pretty common phrase between a rock and a hard place um, you know and it describes a situation where no matter what choice you had it was a bad choice. Have you ever been in a situation like that? I think most of us have when it's kind of you the only options you have are things that you don't want to do and, and that can lead to a kind of desperate feeling right you know, this this point where you just feel like you cannot win well when we pick up with David today in the story of, of David and his in-between, in between the time that he killed Goliath and he became king, David's in, literally in between a rock and a hard place. Now, I'm going to warn you, this probably isn't a, a story that you heard in Sunday school, okay? If they make a flannel graph of this story, I would love to see it <laughs> because this one gets a little real. It gets a little... I'm not going to lie, it's a little bit scatological. So hold on to your horses, all right? You see, David's been chased out of his home, and he's living Robin Hood style outside of any city limits. He's got his band of, band of merry men who are following him around, and he's just hopping from place to place, running away from Saul, who's trying to kill him. And if he stays anywhere too long, Saul's going to find out where he is, and he's going to show up, and he's going to murder him. So he's literally sleeping in caves. But if he stays put in one place for too long, then Saul, you know, he is going to just, he, Saul is checking everywhere. So he can't move around much because people will see him and report it to Saul. But he can't stay put because Saul's got scouts looking everywhere. He is between a rock and a hard place. He's in a difficult position. And it's not just him, he's got a bunch of men with him, men who believe in David's vision for the country, who trust him to be the leader that they need, and their lives are on the line too. you got to imagine how frustrating it must have been sleeping in those caves. And No matter how much faith you have in David, no matter how much faith you have in God, It's still got to be a pretty difficult situation. And in the previous chapter right before this, David narrowly escaped death because right as Saul had found him and was coming after him, Saul got word that the Philistines were attacking Jerusalem. So Saul had to turn around and deal with the Philistines. But you know what Saul did. Right after he protected Jerusalem from the Philistines, he turned right back around and went to try to kill David which just shows you where Saul's priorities are. He's leaving his homeland. He's leaving his his capital city undefended and taking all of the people that ought to be there defending Jerusalem and scouring the countryside for David. He's not really using his power to protect the people he's supposed to protect. He's using his power to try to hold on to it. So that's where we pick up on our story today. 1 Samuel chapter 24. We're going to read the whole chapter. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to look for David and his men in the direction of the rocks of the wild goats. He came to the sheepfolds beside the road where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. The men of David said to him, Here is the day which the Lord said to you, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Then David went and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's cloak. And afterwards David was stricken to the heart because he'd cut off a corner of Saul's cloak. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to raise my hand against him, for he is the Lord's anointed so david scolded his men severely and did not permit them to go to attack saul then saul got up and left the cave and went on his way afterwards david also rose up and went out of the cave and called for saul my lord the king when saul looked behind him david bowed with his face to the ground and did obedience and david said to saul why do you say listen to the words why do you listen to the words of those who say david seeks to do you harm This very day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you into my hand in the cave, and some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not raise my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my Father, see the corner of your cloak in my hand, for by the fact that I cut off the corner of your cloak and did not kill you, you may know for certain that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you are hunting me to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me and you. May the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the ancient proverb says, out of the wicked come forth wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog? A single flea? May the Lord be the judge, therefore, and give sentence between me and you. May he see to it and plead my case and vindicate me against you. When David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. Today you have explained how you have dealt well with me, and that you did not kill me when the Lord put me in your hands. For who has ever found an enemy and sent that enemy safely away? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. Now I know that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my descendants after me, that you will not wipe out my name from my father's house. So David swore this to Saul. Then Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Could you imagine being David in that cave? You're hiding out for your life. And the man who is hunting you down like an animal shows up and puts himself in the most vulnerable position he possibly could right in front of you. And Saul is vulnerable here. Make no mistake. David literally caught Saul with his trousers down. I don't want to get too blue here, but you don't just leave your whole army and go up into a cave to do a number one, okay? <laughs> Saul is vulnerable here, exposed, and he is as weak as he could possibly be in that cave. Even if he'd seen David coming, there's not much he could have done in that position to defend himself. David had Saul dead to rights. And there must have been a part of David that believed that God served up his enemy on a silver platter to him. And that didn't escape David's friends, right? You, they hear it. They told him exactly what to do kill him. This is it, David. It's time. <coughs> Excuse me. This is what God promised you. He anointed you king, and He's given you the opportunity to take what's been promised. This guy wants you dead. He's chased you out of your home. And if the roles were reversed, if Saul had caught David with his trousers down, you know he wouldn't hesitate for a single second to cut David's throat and be rid of him. Surely this is God's will. The door has been opened. Doors do not get any more open than this for you, David. Take the strike. Do it. Kill Saul and become king. So David snuck up on Saul. He got his blade in hand. He's quietly, Saul didn't even notice him. And the words of David's friends and his men are still echoing in his mind. Take the shot. Take what's yours. End it once and for all. But there was another voice in David's mind that day too. No doubt it was a quieter, stiller, smaller voice It was the voice of the lord and that voice spoke to david in a different way so david didn't kill saul he cut off the edge of saul's cloak and he felt bad about even doing that from a worldly perspective y'all this just does not make sense he could have claimed self-defense and everyone would have believed him His sworn enemy, the man between him and God's plan for his life. The man who's thumbed his nose at God, rebelled against what God said to do, and the guy who's taken God's chosen people into a direction that God doesn't want them to go. Saul is everything that's wrong with Israel right now. And David has a chance to take him out, but he didn't do it. So let's take a look at why. Why didn't David do it? here's what David said as an explanation the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master the Lord's anointed or lay my hand on him for he is the anointed of the Lord which is kind of a crazy thing to say because Saul wasn't God's anointed leader David was Samuel sought David out and anointed him the anointing had left Saul already so David spared Saul's life because Saul used to be God's anointed person. He used to be God's anointed leader, but, but David had so much respect for the anointing of the Lord that he wouldn't raise a hand against Saul. He wanted to win this conflict with Saul, right? He wanted to live, he wanted to be king, but he wasn't going to do it, At any cost there were some costs that were going to be too great for David to succeed and Saul's death would have been too price it was a price that David was unwilling to pay David was going to be king but not if he had to stage a violent coup against the Lord's anointed to do it And it's almost a miracle to me that when David looked at Saul in that cave, vulnerable and exposed, that he didn't see an enemy in Saul. He didn't see him as a foe. He looked at Saul and he saw the anointing he looked at Saul and saw a man that God had chosen and that God loved and that God was calling him to respect. So even though David was literally backed into a corner, even though he was between a rock and a hard place running for his life, David chose to honor God in the midst of that uncertainty and in the midst of that anxiety, and he chose to spare his enemy. Y'all, sometimes living in America in 2021 as a Christian feels like we're in between a rock and a hard place. It really does. So it feels like no matter what you do, you can't win. And it's not my job to preach politics from this pulpit. I don't want to do that. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, or what to boycott, or who to protest, or any of that stuff. But I do think that the Bible has something in particular to say, no matter where we stand politically, about living in America in 2021. Because our country is so divided that we're forced to make a choice on any number of things. And it's like, no matter what we choose, somebody's going to be mad, right? (laughs) Oh, my gosh, it's awful. You go through this. We just came out of a season, we're still a little bit in that season, where the presence of a piece of cloth on your face communicates to the whole world about a stance that you're taking almost. And it's like you can't win for losing. Half of the people say, why aren't you wearing a mask? And half of you people say, I can't believe you're wearing a mask. And it's like, oh, my gosh, it's just a piece of cloth. But you just cannot win. You're between a rock and a hard place. It, it, no matter what choice you make, you're alienating yourself from half of the population. And it's with, like, a ton of different issues. Right? You can either support the police Or you can support people of color. But God forbid you try to do both because you got to make a choice. You can only support one. We're in between feuding factions of a world that does not have any room for understanding. And our culture has achieved this combative place that we have a posture of. We're either for us or against us. And if you have any sympathy, if you take any quarter for my enemies, then you're one of my enemies too. It's like impossible to say to someone in 2021, hey, I love you, but I disagree with you. So how can we live out our in-betweens like David did? How can we navigate this world and love our enemies like David loved Saul? I think the first thing we can do to take David's example is that we can resist the temptation to dehumanize other people. You see, when you're in between a rock and a hard place, the, the, your go-to thing can be to dehumanize other people. It's so much easier to engage in a conflict with someone if you believe that they're like inherently evil or inherently destructive, when you're living in an uncertainty and conflict, it's so much easier if you can somehow de-emphasize that other person's humanity, right? A nameless, faceless jerk behind a keyboard is easy to hate, but a flesh and blood person is a lot harder to hate. What I admire so much about David is that he refused to dehumanize Saul. He could have seen Saul as this force of hatred and murder, which kind of... Saul kind of was that, but he just refused to do it. He saw the humanity in Saul, even after everything Saul had done. David calls him, my lord, gives him respect as a king. He calls him father because Saul was his father-in-law. There's an obvious affection that David still carries for Saul, despite everything. David never lost sight of the fact that Saul was his king his father-in-law, and God's chosen person. So he treated him with respect. And that respect broke through. It broke Saul's heart, however temporarily. Saul had problems, man, and he, he went back to trying to kill David later. But in this moment, Saul calls him my son, and he wails with sadness, and he admits that David is destined to be king, and he lets David go free. And it's just, to me, it's amazing what can happen, what the Spirit of God can do when we refuse to treat others the less than human. It breaks down walls. And y'all, it's so easy to hear this message and think, yeah, all those folks need to start respecting me, right? All those bad people need to start seeing me as human. But that's not the way of Jesus, even if it's true. You can't walk away from this teaching thinking about how other people need to learn to respect us. That's not how we hear from God. The way of Jesus is to go first in love, to go first in respect, to go first in treating our enemies with dignity. You see, Saul, David saw the anointing on Saul when nobody else did. And that anointing showed God's favor upon Saul once upon a time. And the fact of the matter is, every single human being in the world alive today has a similar anointing. Because every single person that you encounter, whether they're on your side of the aisle or not, whether they agree with you or not, whether they're trying to harm you or not, is loved by Jesus every single person is a recipient in the grace of god in that way that jesus died for every one of them your worst enemy the one who has it out for you was created by god and is loved by jesus and so god is calling us to see that anointing on other people too god's calling us to see the image of god in other people If God's got an anointing on me and that he has love for me, that means he's got an anointing on you too. So we've got to resist the temptation to dehumanize other people. The second thing is that we've got to realize that the ends don't justify the means. Right? This uncertainty of living in the in-between makes us want to dehumanize others for the sake of winning. For the sake of, of getting a leg up on someone else. But the way of Jesus is to see God's blood in the other for the sake of the cross. And it calls us to be peacemakers. We can buy into the lie that our conflict, that winning our conflict is so important that it's worth doing anything to win it. Right? David was right. He was going to be king. He was God's chosen person. But he wasn't going to do it at any cost. The ends could not justify the means. David could have killed Saul, but that would have meant that he would have taken the throne in a violent coup. And he would be remembered in history as the king who killed God's anointed to take what was his. And he didn't want that position if it meant doing it in a way that wouldn't honor God. In fact, David said it himself, From evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. I believe in the cause that I'm fighting for but I won't allow myself to become an evildoer for a good cause. And I think that it's important for us to remember that there is no issue today that is worth more to Jesus Christ than the people that he died for. Jesus did not die on the cross for an issue or a policy he did not die on the cross for a principle he didn't die on the cross for an institution Jesus died on the cross for people the ends do not justify the means if it means that we harm and we hurt the people that Jesus is dying to reach but what if they're trying to hurt me yeah David wrestled with that. His life was on the line. In his book, Sean Palmer, in his book, Unarmed Empire, Sean Palmer has this great quote. He says, Jesus is not naive or stupid. He knows that terrorists exist. He knows that people engage in sexually unorthodox behaviors, both Christians and non-Christians. God knows humans disagree about God's existence. Jesus knows there are Democrats and Republicans who are sharply divided about nearly everything. He knows some people are pro-Israel, anti-Israel, or don't care about Israel. Jesus knows some people pay more taxes and others pay less. Jesus knows there are racists and sexists and bigots and backstabbers. Jesus knows each of us will have some person or group we don't like. But he gives us no caveat. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We are free to hold convictions about multiple social, national, and international issues and conflicts. We are free, even encouraged when appropriate, to work for political and social justice. We are not free, however, to hold those convictions, regardless of what they are, in the absence of love. Jesus knows what history should have taught us. Conviction without love ends in oppression there is no victory that we can achieve for the kingdom that doesn't occur through submission to the way of jesus and the way of jesus is self-sacrificial love and if we can't win our arguments without adopting a posture of self-sacrificial servanthood and love for the other team, then we don't need to win that bad. And that's a hard truth to learn. It's a hard thing to do, but it's what God calls us to. He calls us to truth in love. We can't let go of truth. Absolutely not. We need to hold firm to truth. But we also have to hold firm to love. They are both vital and necessary. Which brings us to our last point. Sometimes the in-between is the most faithful place to be. You know, obedience to God means playing the long game. David didn't know what would happen next. He certainly couldn't trust Saul to keep his truce going. Because Saul didn't. But David kept being faithful to God anyway. Saul was momentarily shamed into leaving God alone. He knew he was on the wrong side. But his jealousy and his hard heart crept back up, and he kept coming for David's life. We might have to deal with these conflicts in the long term. We might have to deal with them for a long time. We might have to deal with people standing against us indefinitely. But God calls us to stay the course. God calls us to be faithful in the in-between. It's the place where he's called us to be. It means that our allegiance to Jesus is first, but our allegiance to our neighbor is second. It's our allegiance to Jesus and our neighbor, and then way down third or fourth is whatever cause we have our goal is to see the value in every person to live out the gospel to those people even those we vehemently disagree with especially those we vehemently disagree with it doesn't mean the world's going to be all rainbow and roses it doesn't mean that we can care bear stare our way into having our enemies just fall over and say oh you're right we love you that's not how the world works but it does mean that even when things are hard we honor god in those hard times too. So maybe there are people you've written off. Maybe there are people you've dehumanized. Maybe there are people that deep down, you just don't believe that these folks deserve to be loved by God. Let's make it a point to see those people through the eyes of God. To see those people, the anointing, of Jesus's death on the cross for them. Don't let the ends justify the means. Let's approach conflict in our day with humanity and with the spirit of God showing us how God sees other people. That's what David did. Let's embrace this in-betweenness of the gospel and let it push us to be peacemakers in our context. Our closing song this morning, uh, Sarah Beth's going to sing it for us, but I want to encourage you to sing along. Even if you don't know the song, it's easy to pick up. There's a a handout in your bulletin with the lyrics. It's called Reckless Love. And uh, it's about God's reckless love for us, and about how he leaves the 99 to seek after the one. Isn't that amazing? But as we're singing about God's reckless love for me, let's acknowledge that And that reckless love applies to all, even to the people that we don't get along with. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you that your love applies not only to the people that are on our team, but to people that aren't too. God, show us how to be faithful in the in-between so that we can live lives worthy of your calling. God, show us how to be self-sacrificial servants for the sake of your kingdom. In your name I pray, amen.